There was a kind of support in the shy heave of her surprise. You came for me for church, of course, but I can't go. Has anything happened? Yes, you must know now. Did I look very queer? Through this window? Dreadful. Well, I said, I've been frightened. Mrs. Groves's eyes expressed plainly that she had no wish to be, yet also that she knew too well her place not to be ready to share with me any marked inconvenience. Oh, it was quite settled that she must share. Just what you saw from the dining room a minute ago, was the effect of that? What I saw just before was much worse. Her hand tightened. What was it? An extraordinary man, looking in. What extraordinary man? I haven't the least idea. Mrs. Gross gazed round us in vain. Then where is he gone? I know still less. Have you seen him before? Yes, once, on the old tower. She could only look at me harder. Do you mean he's a stranger? Oh, very much. Yet you didn't tell me. No, for reasons. But now that you've guessed, Mrs. Gross's round eyes encountered this charge. Ah,、oh, I haven't guessed," she said very simply. "How can I if you don't imagine? I don't, in the very least. You've seen him nowhere but on the tower, and on this spot just now." Mrs. Gross looked around again. "What was he doing on the tower? Only standing there and looking down at me." She thought a minute. "Was he a gentleman?" I found I had no need to think. No, she gazed in deeper wonder. No, then nobody about the place. Nobody from the village. Nobody. Nobody. I didn't tell you, but I made sure. She breathed a vague relief. This was oddly so much to the good. It only went indeed a little way. But if he isn't a gentleman, what is he? He's a horror, a horror. He is. God help me if I knew what he is. Mrs. Gross looked round once more. She fixed her eyes on the dus duskier distance, and then, pulling herself together, turned to me with full inconsequence. It's time we should be at church. Oh, I'm not fed for church. Won't it do you good? It won't do them. I nodded at the house. The children, I can't leave them now. You are afraid. I spoke boldly. I'm afraid of him. Mrs. Gross's large face showed me, at this, for the first time, the faraway faint glimmer of a consciousness more acute. I somehow made out in it the delayed tone of an idea I myself had not given her. And that was as yet quite obscure to me. It comes back to me that I thought instantly of this as something I could get from her, and I felt it to be connected with the desire she presently showed to know more. What was it on the tower? About the middle of the month, at this, 
same hour. Almost at dark, said Mrs. Groves. Oh no, not nearly. I saw him as I see you. Then how did he get in? And how did he get out? I laughed. I had no opportunity to ask him. This evening, you see, I pursued. He has not been able to get in. He only pips. I hope it will be confined to that. She had now let go my hand. She turned away a little. I waited an instant. Then I brought out, "Go to church. Goodbye. I must watch." Slowly, she faced me again. Do you fear for them? We met in another long look. Don't you? Instead of answering, she came near to the window and, for a minute, applied her face to the glass. You see how he could see. I meanwhile went on. She didn't move. How long was he here? Till I came out. I came to meet him. Mrs. Gross at last turned around, and there was still more in her face. I couldn't have come out. Neither could I. I laughed again. But I did come. I've my duty. So have I mine. She replied. After which she added, "What's he like? I've been dying to tell you, but he's like nobody. Nobody." She echoed. He has no hat. Oh, because it's so important to have a hat. <clears throat> He has no hat. Then, seeing her face, that she already in this with a deeper, deeper dismay, found a touch of a picture. I quickly added stroke to stroke. He has red hair, very red, close curling, and a pale face, long in shape, with straight, good features and little, rather queer whiskers, that are as red as his hair. His eyebrows are somehow darker; they look particularly arched, and as if they might move a good deal. His eyes are sharp, strange, awfully. But I only know clearly that they are rather small and very fixed. His mouth is wide, and his lips are thin, except for his little whiskers. He's quite clean-shaven. He gives me a sort of sense of looking like an actor. An actor? It's it was impossible to resemble one less, at least, than Mrs. Gross at the at that moment. I've never seen one, but so I suppose them. He is tall, active, erect. I continued, but never, no, never a gentleman. My companion's face has blanched as I went on. Her round eyes started, and her mild mouth gaped. A gentleman? She gasped, confounded, stupefied. A gentleman? He? You know him then? She visibly tried to hold herself, but he is handsome. I saw the way to help her, remarkably, and dressed in somebody's clothes. They are smart, but they are not his own. She broke into a breathless affirmative groan. They are the masters. I caught it up. You do know him. 
she faltered by the second. Quint, she cried. Quint, Peter Quint, his own man, his valet, when he was here, when the master was gaping still, but meeting me, she pieced it all together. He never wore his hat, but he did wear. Well, there were waistcoats missed. They were both here last year, when the master went and Quint was alone. I followed, but halting a little, alone, alone with us. Then, as from a deeper depth, in charge, she added, and what became of him? She hung fire so long that I was still more mystified. He went too. She brought out at last. Went where? Her expression at this became extraordinary. God knows where. He died. Died? I almost shrank. She seemed fairly to square herself, plant herself more firmly, to express the wonder of it. Yes, Mister Quince, dead. Mouse could, very simply. No, I didn't steal. My face must have shown him I believed him utterly. Yet my hands, but it was for pure tenderness, shook him as if to ask why. If it was all for nothing, he had condemned me to months of torment. What then did you do? He looked in vague pain all around the top of the room and drew his breath two or three times over, as if with difficulty. He might have been standing at the bottom of the sea and raising his eyes to some faint green twilight. Well, I said things. Only that. They thought it was enough to turn you out for. Never, truly, had a person turned out shown so little to explain it as this little person. He appeared. To weigh my question, but in a manner quite detached and almost helpless. Well, I suppose I oughtn't. But to whom did you say them? He evidently tried to remember, but it dropped. He had lost it. I don't know. He almost smiled at me in the desolation of his surrender, which was indeed practically. By this time, so complete that I ought to have left it there. But I was infatuated. I was blind with victory, though even then the very effect that was to have brought him so much nearer was already that of added separation. Was it to everyone? I asked. No, it was only to. But he gave a sick little headshake. I, I don't remember their names. Were they then so many? No, only a few. Those I liked. Those he liked. I seemed to float not into clearness, but into a darker, obscure, and within a minute there had come to me, out of my very pity, the appalling alarm. 
of his being perhaps innocent. It was for the instant confounding and bottomless. For if he were innocent, what then on earth was I? Paralyzed while it lasted, by the mere brush of the question, I let him go a little, so that with a deep drawn sigh, he turned away from me again, which as he faced towards the clear window, I suffered, feeling that I had nothing now there to keep him from. And did he repeat what you said? I went on after a moment. He was soon at some distance from me, still breathing hard, and again with the air, though now without anger for it, of being confined against his will. Once more, as he had done before, he looked up at the dim day as if of what had hitherto sustained him. Nothing was left but an unspeakable anxiety. Oh, yes, he nevertheless replied. They must have repeated them to those they liked, he added. There was somehow less of it than I had expected. But I turned it over. And these things come round to the masters? Oh, yeah. He answered very simply. But I didn't know they'd tell. The masters? Oh, they didn't. They've never told. That's why I ask you. He turned to me again, his little beautiful fevered face. Yes, it was too bad. Too bad? What I suppose I sometimes said to write home. I can't name the exquisite pathos of the contradiction given to such a speech by such a speaker. I only know that the next instant I heard myself throw off with homely force. Stuff and nonsense! But the next, after that, I must have sounded stern enough. What were those things? My sternness was all for his judge. His executioner. Yet it made him avert himself again, and that movement made me, with a single bond and an irrepressible cry, spring straight upon him. For there again, against the glass, as if to blight his confession and stay his answer, was the hideous author of our woe, the white face of damnation. I felt a sick swim at the drop of my victory and all the return of my battle, so that the wildness of my veritable leap only served as a great betrayal. I saw him, from the midst of my act, meet it with a divination and on the perception that even now he only guessed and that the window was still to his own eyes free, I let the impulse flame up to convert the climax of his dismay into the very proof of his literation. No more, no more, no more. I shrank to my visitant as I tried to press him against me. Is she here? Miles panted as he caught with his sealed eyes the direction of my words. Then, as his strange she staggered me, and with a gasp, I echoed, Miss Jessel, Miss Jessel, he 
with sudden fury gave me back. I seized, stupefied, his supposition, some sequel to what he, we had done to Flora. But this made me only want to show him that it was better still than that. It's not Miss Jessel, but it's at the window, straight before us. It's there, the coward horror, there for the last time. At this, after a second in which his head made the movement of a baffled dog's on the scent and then gave a frantic little shake for the air and light, he was at me in a white rage, bewildered, glaring vainly over the place and missing wholly, though in now, to my sense, filled the room like a taste of poison, the wide overwhelming presence. It's he? I was so determined to have all my proof that I flashed into eyes to challenge him. Whom do you mean by he? Peter Quint, you devil! His face gave again, round the room, its convulsed supplication. Where? They are in my ears still, his supreme surrender of the name and his tribute to my devotion. Oh, what does he matter now, my own? What will he ever matter? I have you. I launched at this beast, but he has lost you forever. Then for the demonstration of my work, there, there, I said to Miles, but he had already jerked straight round, stared, glared again, and seen but the quiet day. With the stroke of the loss, I was so proud of him, uttered the cry of a creature held over an abyss, and the grasp with which I recovered him might have been that of catching him in his fall. I called him, yes, I held him. It may be imagined with what a passion, but at the end of a minute I began to feel what it truly was that I held. We were alone with the quiet day, and his little heart, dispossessed, had stopped. So that was the end of the turn of the screw, the last sentence uttered from the turn of the screw by Henry James. Well, so Miles is gone, had stopped, the heart has stopped. Immediately we have, okay, about the turn of the screw, of course we have so many questions. And Henry James was known as this master of ambiguity. So many people have asked the question about the whole book is about is the governess crazy or did the children really possess? Many people actually, me included, was convinced that um, they, the children was, because it's a ghost story, it's a true ghost story. So the children were truly possessed. And so there were ghosts of Peter Quint and Miss Jessel. Okay, because... If it was the other case, how did the now governess knew their looks, right? How did they know how they looked if if she didn't never saw them? So okay, yeah, we got that mystery solved. But the second mystery, the second question, what would be? 
What did Miles really do? What did Miles really do to get himself expelled? He only said he said things. He didn't steal. He didn't do something. His manner was perfect. And what did he do? So to get him expelled, and he said he said things to the people he liked. And that doesn't make any sense, does it? So I was just thinking, because we know that Henry James was a gay man at the time, at the Victorian period of time, and people think, and we know Oscar Wilde was in prison for being gay. So maybe Henry James was hinted at Miles, little boy, was in a like homosexual a relationship with another boy at school, maybe, or maybe he just liked some boy and said something to another boy, and that was unforgivable. It's like this is some not something little boys should say to each other, and maybe when he said to another boy, and you know these words goes around and it spread it like a virus. Quote unquote, uh, potential marks. So it was not acceptable at the time, which is a shame. And then I was—that's my answer actually. When people ask me, "What do I think Miles did at school?" So I always say maybe it's that. You know, what else could it be? Maybe just as simple as he liked the boys, and that was it. So and that mystery is solved. And lastly, is how did Miles die? It's like what happened? Is it, is it like you know when the ghosts leave your body, and leave your body, and then you're just gonna die? And it doesn't work like that, right? So I can only think of like heart attack, maybe the shock of seeing Peter Quint, and it also like. I don't know. I don't have all the answers for for all those mysteries, of course. But like, how could he hate him so much? Like, how could Miles hate Peter Quint so much? I actually thought Miles supposed to like him, like Peter Quint, as if uh, the, in a very ambiguous way that we say the adults have the influence on the kids. So it's supposed to be the other way around. And then, how did Miles hate him so much,、uh, so much so that he would die from heart attack because upon seeing him, you know, and did he see him eventually? Because he was like, "Is it Miss Jessel, the ghost you saw?" and and the governess was like, "No, it's Peter Quint," and and he he just. You know his heart, little heart, just died, just stopped. From the medical <laughs> perspective,、uh, we could only probably explain like heart attack by shock or arrhythmic heart activities. You know what else can we say? What else can we say or explain how a little perfectly healthy little boy just all of a sudden dropped dead? You know. Top for interpretation, I guess. But that's the end of the turn of the screw. And、um, I hope you can pose more questions to me.
we can get on and discuss. And also let me know if you like my new life of this podcast being book discussion or about books. It might not just be ghost stories though. It could be anything but go about but book related. And let me know how you feel about this. Because I don't want to spend too much time writing the script for the podcast. And if I were to just review the books I'm reading, that would cost me zero effort. Yeah. I'll be constantly reading anyway, like I said before. So I could um update the episodes quite easily, I guess, because it's effortless for me if just do book reviews. And yeah. Okay. So I guess if for now that's it.